2: Nate, stop. Nate, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> stop it. What? What's <laughs> the matter? You're driving me mad. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you hate beautiful music.
0: I mean, it's not that I hate beautiful music, but I'm trying to concentrate here on doing a show together and I, it's just, it's really distracting.
2: Wow. You are grumpy today. <laughs>
0: I'm songwriter Charlie Harding, joined by musicologist Nate Sloan, and today
2: on Switched on Pop, songs that drive us mad. Music seems to have that ability. Music can rub you the wrong way. It can get your goat. It can turn you into an octogenarian curmudgeon decades before your time. That's my world. (laughs) It can make you slightly insane. What is it about certain songs that drive us mad? We have
0: divided up three ways in which music can drive us crazy. The first, earworms.
2: Earworms, AKA melodies that burrow deep into your brain and don't let go. Charlie, I'm sorry, can you stop playing that song? (laughs) Dude. Okay, earworms, is each one unique? in its methods of torturous catchiness, or is there something that ties these diverse hooks together? Yeah. Spoiler alert, it's the
0: latter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the proper use of spoiler <laughs> alert. I just have to
2: say. I'll spoil my spoiler alert. I'm sorry.
0: I think that there are exactly three ways in which an earworm burrows itself into the insides of our brain. The first is it's got to have a really simple catchy melody. Yes. The second thing is it has to repeat that thing over and over and over and maybe provide a subtle variation to reset the loop that it starts. Okay. And I think that the third thing that we hear in a earworm is that it has some sort of unique tonal
2: quality, something that defines it as its own work. All right. Simplicity, repetition, parentheses, and variation unique tonal quality. All right, I'm finding this persuasive so far. Let's see if we can apply these to a few legendary hooks. Okay, she drives me crazy by The Fine Young Cannibals what you 19- 19 80, Eighty something. Okay, <laughs> we can work with that. Let's test our theory against this jam by the Fycs. So,
0: do you want to do you want to sing it for us?
2: <laughs> Only if you'll do the high <laughs> harmony. <laughs> she drives me crazy. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> okay, I think we got that. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's apply the theory of simplicity to this song. She drives me Okay, so we have th- kind of a three-note motive followed by a little vocalize, this oo ooh Then we get a repeat of this melody with some slightly different lyrics. Like no one else, right? Hoo <laughs> hoo. And then it sounds like we're going to get another exact repetition. Close, but they flip the script and end not with the now familiar oo-ooh, but this other ending I can't that resolves to the same note but an octave below. I can't help myself. Oh it's actually the same, basically the ooh-ooh and the myself are the same notes, just one is an octave higher than the other. Just transposed down. So we're
0: getting almost the exact same material in a slightly different variation. So- just
2: different enough that... We find it very satisfying, I think, when this do- when this melody doesn't do exactly what we expected it to. So already we've actually covered number one and number two. It is the simplest melody.
0: Bum, 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 bum. Very simple. And it just does that over and over and yes. over, and then it resets its loop by giving us a subtle variation.
2: Ah, so, okay. So we've already hit simplicity and our other category of repetition and variation. So lastly, unique tonal characteristic. For me, the unique tone of this comes in the singer's voice. His inflection on this phrase, she drives me crazy, is very specific. Okay. It's not, she drives me crazy. It's, she drives me crazy. (laughs) He is crazy, <laughs> or something, uh, some approximation of that. It's not the way you or you or I would say that or sing mm. it normally. It's the way this particular person yeah. sings it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that is just another thing that makes it lodge in our minds oh. because it's not—it's slightly off. If you hear a cover of that song, maybe you don't react to it in the same way. Mm. When you hear the original and you hear that <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> that slightly nasally tone, it's like this instant earworm attack
0: so she drives me crazy it, it's almost self-referential right it's like we're going to drive you nuts this thing's gonna get stuck in your ear and <laughs> right. dri- it, i'm not sure that it's a person driving you crazy it's actually the melody of the uh, song
2: designed to drive you crazy anthropomorphizing <laughs> the hook itself yeah, definitely that's deep
0: so one song does not prove our theory i i Okay, so I've gone back to my middle school dance days. <laughs> We've talked about that before. The really low period of my Oof, life. Yeah. With the Backstreet Boys and I Want It That Way. And I think I think if we could take one of the biggest mega hits, the Backstreet Boys I Want It That Way, and apply it to our theory, then surely
2: it must hold. All right. Let's see. Let's put let's put I Want It That Way under the the earworm test. I want it that way. Tell me why. Nothing but a
0: tell me wanna I want to argue that this song absolutely meets these criteria tell me why i will tell you why <laughs> Cr- criteria number one, simple melody. What you got right there? Tell me why ain't nothing but a three, Another three-note melody. This time rising up instead of down, but yeah. very simple. Yeah. Easy to sing, memorable. And similar to the, the Fine Young Cannibals, we actually have a little bit of a melody, counter-melody thing going on here, where before we had ooh-ooh, we right. now have ain't nothing but a
2: heartache. ache." Heartbreaks? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. All right.
0: So tell me why ain't nothing but a heartache.
2: Okay. So you have
0: this melody, counter melody.
2: So we've checked the
0: simplicity box. Number two. Repetition and variation. Right. So he's done one line. Okay. Next line is exactly the same. Yes, it is. A little bit of that. Tell me why ain't nothing but a mistake. Ain't nothing
2: but a mistake. Ah, okay. Third time.
0: Tell me why I never hear you say
1: want it
0: that way so after the third tell me why tell me why <laughs> After the third Tell Me Why, there's a subtle variation. Right? right. The third Tell Me Why is going down instead of up. Yeah. And then we get this new melody, this sort of new material. I never want to hear you say. And then we get the epic line, which just hammers the whole thing And right? We've had like repeat, repeat, right. subtle variation, and then they just hammer it home. I want it that way. Thank you, Nate. Yeah. <laughs> so number 3 unique tonal quality
2: for me this comes in the word why okay because again the way you say the word why you don't say it why <laughs> you don't make it three syllables mm. and end it on the phoneme e mm. but in this song you do And I think that's this trick that, again, makes it instantly memorable. It's that thing scratching on your brain. Yeah. (laughs) If they just said, tell me why, maybe it wouldn't attack our cerebrums with such ferocity. But because of this why-y It just lodges itself in your brain because, it's again, it's kind of off. It's kind of weird. It is unforgettable. Backstreet Boys, I want it that way. Totally (laughs) unforgettable.
0: Always stuck in our heads. And it's simple. It repeats itself with subtle variation. It's got a unique tonal quality. I think it meets the mark.
2: So two songs down, there are many millions more out there. And let's put them all under the microscope as you're listening to pop hits think about is this song corresponding to the golden rules of earworminess <laughs> simplicity repetition unique tonal quality and if we're wrong then yeah. we might have to introduce another theory okay so what do you got about hooks well i suppose the other theory would be that that there's no universal rule for what makes a song catchy in fact the only thing that makes a song catchy is just hearing it over and over, and over, and over again. Being exposed to that song so much. So not just the repetition of the melody within its own form, but
0: by the just mass production of radio being blasted in our ears and we can't turn it off. So you're so you're asking here, is there is it about exposure or about the
2: construction of the song itself? Yes, and we might ha- come up with a way to test this how out would as you, well. How would you test this? What would well, you do? Well, I guess what you would do is to see if there's nothing special about these melodies in terms of their catchiness and only that we've just heard them. Right. Then, theoretically, any melody could become catchy if you heard it enough. Okay. So our goal then would be to create the least earwormy melody possible (laughs) and see if we could get it stuck in our heads. So this is the least likely case. Yes. And if just... Continued exposure to this unhookable melody makes it get stuck in our head, then perhaps it, like you said, it's not about construction, but just about exposure. Okay, so then I'm going
0: to have to give you a little challenge. Okay. Can you write for us a melody which is n- neither simple <laughs> n- nor repetitive? Right. And it is completely unlistenable such that it doesn't have any
2: unique tonal quality. Rather than come up with this ourselves. Okay. Perhaps we dip into the repertoire of avant-garde classical music, full of complex dissonant completely unmemorable melodic motives. Perfect. This is actually exactly when I decided
0: to drop my music major in college. <laughs> was when we got to this stage because I could not stand it.
2: Yeah. So let's take, who do you want to do, Charlie? Do you want to do Karlheinz Stockhausen? Do you want to do Pierre Boulez? Or do you want to use Georgi Legati? You got to give me some of that Stockhausen. Stockhausen. Okay, let's take a piece like Klavierstück 10. Okay, okay. Famous piece. And let's see if we can take this melody. We'll no. give it well, at least give it some lyrics that we know are catchy. That makes sense. And I'll sing these lyrics with Stockhausen's melody. Okay. And see if this if we can't get this into our heads. Okay, so what's 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 the lyric? She drives me crazy. Ooh, ooh. Ah, I think the test then is. Can it be repeated? <laughs> Can that get stuck in your head? If you play that over and over, we'll remember it. All right. Well, let Can let's... you even sing it twice? She drives me crazy. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> she drives me crazy. Ooh, ooh. She drives me crazy. Ooh, ooh. I kind of feel like they weren't the
0: same, first of all. <laughs> Second, it is effective in
2: driving me crazy, but I could absolutely not sing that melody back to you. Fair enough. But let's step away. Okay. We're going to step away from our microphones, and then at the end of the show, yeah, I'm going to ask you if you can remember it. How about that? Beautiful. All right.
0: It's a good test. This is exciting. Support for Switched on Pop comes from Vibe Check. If you were an Intuit fan and you are missing Sam Sanders, then have no fear. He's back with another great pod called Vibe Check. Each week, Sam and his two best friends, writer Saeed Jones and journalist and producer Zach Stafford, make sense of what's going on in the news and culture from Elon Musk and foreign policy to how to heal from a breakup to Usher's Super Bowl halftime show. They check the vibe of what's going on in the world and how it all feels. They're currently doing a series called Hey Sis, where they're highlighting the compelling stories of black women and their achievements. They're being joined by special guests Regina King, Audie Cornish, Raquel Willis, and more. Vibe Check is your favorite group chat come to life. You can join the weekly Kiki every Wednesday. Listen to and follow Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts. Can't believe Sam made me say Kiki.
1: Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m. Wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m. Grab seats for the game. Come on!
0: Okay, so I feel like uh, I, I I feel confident that the original Drive Me Crazy and I Want It That Way are thoroughly stuck in our heads. Not so certain about the Stockhausen. We'll get back to that. <laughs> right. I think it's time to move on to reason number two that music drives us mad. I feel like one of the great tricks to writing a good pop song is to have a full understanding of cliche, to know how to master the things that we all know and want to hear, and then twist them just right so that we hear them in a slightly new context. For me, that is sort of the magic of great pop song writing.
2: Yeah. Pop music, by definition, is formulaic. Of course. But perhaps when we hear a formula that isn't inventive enough, isn't er original, isn't tweaked in some way, it makes us a little upset.
0: Yeah, so this is reason number two, when the formula goes sour. Yeah. One way that I hear the formula going sour is when the same producer produces different songs for different artists but they sound the same.
2: Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So this this is what makes you mad.
0: This drives me absolutely mad. Yeah, I think one of the best examples and a fairly well known one is Dr. Luke, great uh-huh. producer who wrote both Katy Perry's California Girls
1: California
0: and Kesha's TikTok.
2: TikTok, California girls, it's the same thing. This is frustrating to you. This gets in your head because when you hear a new song, you want to hear something new. You want something fresh. You want something that takes the formula and challenges it in some way.
0: Right. In particular, that these two songs were on the radio at the same time, I'd get frustrated when I heard one song and then the
2: other. Yeah. You know, the formulaicness and the standardization of pop music were exactly what drove the philosopher Theodore Adorno crazy. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> so he was uh, known as a member of the Frankfurt School, yep. writing about culture. But he, he's one of the great music critics of all time, though he has a very particularly grumpy cadence, which comes out when he talks about things like pop music. Yeah. Because he didn't just have an aesthetic issue, with the formulaicness of pop, he actually had some moral objections to this phenomenon. He wrote, quote, Listening to popular music is manipulated not only by its promoters, but as it were, by the inherent nature of this music itself, wholly antagonistic to the ideal of individuality in a free liberal society. Ooh standardization of song hits keeps the customers in line by doing their listening for them. As it were, I
0: don't agree with this. Good. I, Cause he's I, a jerk. <laughs> I don't agree that pop songs are coming out on the same assembly line. I, so where I agree is that when things come too close to sounding like they're off the same assembly line, and that assembly line maybe has a few defects on it, they don't have good quality control, that drives me mad.
2: Right. When there's too much lead in your pop song. (laughs) Yeah. And it needs to be recalled. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not going to take that metaphor any further. No. Yes. I think the textbook example of this, what we might call... The pulling back the curtain phenomenon is one of the most universally reviled songs of the past few years. Rebecca Black's Friday. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the
0: weekend, weekend. partying, partying, partying,
1: partying.
2: This song, made by a 13-year-old girl... And a music production for Hire Company right. called Arc Music churned out this little ditty about the magic of the weekend. Probably intended just for her a few of her friends, maybe. Of yeah, of course. Instead, it dropped on YouTube and instantly went viral, racked up millions upon millions mm-hmm. of views, and was kind of an obsession where people couldn't get the song out of their head, I think but also couldn't stand it. Like made people angry, full of ire. It so
0: perfectly follows the formula that we set up earlier, but it does it to such a degree without any of that variation that we need to be successful that it gets stuck in our head and it does so in a way which kind of pushes all the wrong buttons. It's almost like the uncanny valley of popular music.
2: Because at once it's entirely catchy... Yeah, and memorable for all the reasons we enumerated earlier. It's got the right chord progressions, the right synthesizers, all those things you expect from your pop song. Yeah, totally. And it has you know these like pump up choruses. Looking forward to it has the requisite Party. verse by a rapper in right. the you know the the third quarter of the song before a final chorus.
1: So in the
0: front <laughs> I could just picture her thinking about I gotta ride a bridge the song is about Friday where do I go from here let's go back a day to Thursday I think if she were really doing this well she would have modulated down a whole step brought the whole song down a key to emphasize the going
2: back in time but she didn't make that creative choice again we get something that we expect via the formula here's a little bridge right right right. this is a moment in the song where we see like another perspective another it like deepens our understanding there's a musical change that makes the return of the chorus that much more powerful at the end so it's doing everything right but the actual material of it is so insipid (laughs) and just maddeningly phlegmatic it upsets us but not just because it's bad I think because it exposes the formula. Right. Mm. It reveals what we maybe implicitly understand, but try not to say out loud, right. that this stuff does come off the assembly line in a lot of ways. And it really is only the small, brilliant details of invention and creativity separating these songs from one another that make them objects of joy and something we treasure and not something that drives us completely bonkers. So two ways in which the formula
0: goes sour. One, a producer reusing their material in slightly new context for different artists. Right. Two, completely exposing the formula, giving us the ingredients and seeing that, Oh, you don't want to know how the sausage is made. Right. I think third is uh, even worse than a producer copying their own material is when people just copy each other's material over and over such that you get these lyrical tropes and the worst offender has got to be country music. Oof, yeah. There's an amazing mashup on YouTube by a columnist at The Guardian, Grady Smith, who writes about country music and popular music and it shows how all country songs back in 2013 had the exact same lyrical tropes. So
2: we had... Uh, Wait, let me guess. Blue Jeans... Those jeans you're planning on. Love the way you wearing those jeans. So Trucks. Jack up truck. That's my truck. Talking about trucks. Alcohol. Beer, yeah.
0: Okay, alcohol. <laughs>
2: Just cutting up and shooting Bacardi. We got 24 tall boys on the chill. So maybe country music drives certain people crazy. And I know people for whom this is true. Yeah. Country music drives them crazy because it's kind of incestuous. The same person who put
0: together that YouTube compilation recently wrote an article for The Guardian about country stars who don't actually like their own records who admit that if they could, they would write more in the style of Hank Williams and old traditional style country music because that's what they really love, but they don't feel there's actually an audience for it. And so they write songs like
2: um John Deere, John Cougar, John 316. Is that real? <laughs> yeah, that's oh, Keith no. Urban, man. Oh, yeah. man. We'll throw up a link on our site so that you can listen to the rest of that. What's the opposite of greatest hits? <laughs> the lowlights of country music to twenty thirteen. So
0: we've established the pop music is successful in taking a formula and playing with it ever so slightly to put it in a new context for us. And when we get too close to that formula when people copy themselves, when people expose what it's made of and when people copy each other, that formula sours and we we throw back and the music drives us mad. Unlike earworms where I'm kind of like going a little crazy, I actually just get angry when I when I hear the formula going sour.
2: That anger you feel may only be eclipsed by our third category of music that drives you mad. Let's call it the shock of the new. Music that you don't understand, that is too foreign, too different, too outre for you to even process. Often our reaction to that feeling of the shock of the new is rage. (laughs) Musical rage. And this reaction can apply to... Music throughout history and of all different genres. Right. It's not maybe about the sounds themselves. No. But about their relation to the sounds that you know. Yeah. It's
0: about the listener's exposure to whatever the music is of that moment.
2: For the shock of the new, let's use the most divisive genre of music we have right now. It has to be EDM, electronic, electronic dance, dance music. music. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> That had to happen. Nice wobble, Chuck. <laughs> Thank you. And I can't think of a more paradigmatic musician in this field than Skrillex. Absolutely. It's in his name. You
0: don't even have to hear his music to know what yeah. it's going to sound like. You just yeah. have to hear his name.
2: Yeah. Say say the word Skrillex at a dinner table and watch someone <laughs> sitting there just cringe. <laughs> just hearing it. Yeah, just shudder. So what are you going to play for us? Let's take a song like Bangarang. Bangarang. All oh, right. Yeah. And let's focus. Let's let's start from the beginning. Okay. So what are we hearing? I mean, so far, I don't think we have that shock of the new yet.
0: Okay, but the tension is building. Uh oh, <laughs> what's going on? I don't know. I'm scared, Charlie. Uh oh, what's <laughs> happening?
2: <laughs> it's new. No, it's oh in my- your face. Ah! what is that sound oh, no <laughs> but i feel it in my bowels oh <laughs> wow that is insane i'm, I'm in shock Fu- yeah i've never shock. heard anything like that before if no. i put myself hearing this music for the first time it's like what is that right it's not right. nah, i can't process it yeah so what are you hearing this tone this kind of pulsing Tone it's a, a sonority that it doesn't come from from the natural world. yeah, it's very inorganic. yeah, it's not a violin or a piano or a voice or even those instruments and then altered in some way this is like it's a whole something new- I can't put my finger on. it's something it's created in a petri dish in a lab. It freaks me out or like a demon has unzipped the heavens and like <laughs> crawled its way
0: through and it has screamed in your face.
2: Yes, or that. <laughs> <laughs> the sound of Skrillex is literally the sound of the new. Right. It's something that only exists in the 2010s. We hear it and we hear change. We hear mm, yeah. upheaval. We hear tectonic plates shifting and it's very unsettling because change is
0: scary. But just as much as Skrillex is the representation of the new, this is not a singular moment. This is part of an ongoing, evolving process, right? The
2: process of new sounds, bitter vitriol that rises to meet them, and then eventually those new sounds becoming mainstream and acceptable, right? and then being usurped by some new sound, and then the people who used to hate that sound, who now love the sound, react bitterly with vitriol, and then the cycle continues. This has happened always, all throughout history. Totally. Every kind of music. And to back up that assertion, yeah. you just have to flip through the pages of one of my favorite books. What's that? The Encyclopedia of Musical Invective <laughs> by Nicholas J. Slonimsky. Okay, so what's this about? And I just have, to, as a quick sidebar, okay. I've always felt a kinship with Dr. Slonimsky yeah. because our family name, Sloan, used to be Slonimsky. Oh, when my ancestors migrated here and then they shortened it at Ellis Island to Sloan. So I've always wondered if we're related somehow. Okay, earlier you
0: were accusing me of
2: being a curmudgeon, but now I think you're <laughs>
0: admitting that within your family roots, there is the most curmudgeony of critics in the musical world. I, this is a, the tables have turned.
2: So in Slonimski's Encyclopedia of Musical Invective, he basically goes through every great classical composer. Okay. From Beethoven to Varese. Yeah. And has collected all of their worst reviews.
0: Okay. And
2: every one of these composers had a terrible review. Don't think for a second that Mozart was spared by the 18th century Salzburg equivalent of Pitchfork. (laughs) They laid into him just as much as we lay into Skrillex. Of course. So do you have a favorite review? Well, one that stood out for sure Was actually from the Russian author Maxim Gorky. Okay. Let's just say he was not into jazz. 1928, this was his take on jazz. Listening to the screaming music for a minute or two, one conjures up an orchestra of madmen, sexual maniacs led by a man stallion beating time with an enormous phallus. So that was his understanding of jazz. This was clearly music that made him mad.
0: I don't even know what to say to that. It is a unsophisticated,
2: pretty unveiled racist critique of jazz. In 1928, someone like Maxim Gorky just is driven mad. This is the newest music right. that anyone has ever heard, and it scares the crap out of him. Yeah. But then fast forward 30 years later... And you get to a movie like Jailhouse Rock, starring Elvis Presley, yeah. and jazz, this this terrifying orchestra of maniacs beating time with an enormous palace, <laughs> has now become the, the province of stuffy, uh, old, middle-class people right. sitting around a fireplace and talking about altered courts. This is what they have to say. I think Stubby's gone overboard with those altered chords, don't you?
1: I agree. I think Brubeck and Desmond have gone just as far with dissonance as I care to go.
2: Oh, nonsense. Have you heard Lenny Tristano's latest recording?
0: He reached out her space.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Someday they'll make the cycle and get back to pure old Dixieland. I say,
1: atonality is just a passing phase in jazz music. What do you think, Mr. Everett?
2: Lady, I don't know what the hell are you talking about. Now, rock music is the shock of the new. Elvis is sweeping jazz to the side and oh. in the process, making a lot of people very angry.
0: You were going to sing us a, a song at the end. We listened to this song a number of times. She Drives Me Crazy, Stockhausen, number 10. <laughs> right. <laughs> music... Carl, Carl Heinz
2: Stockhausen in lyrics fine Young Cannibals. Right. Do, can you remember it? Not a note. She drives me crazy. Ooh, ooh. As oh, close. <laughs> well, jury's still out on that one. All right.
0: <laughs> so we went out hunting for the songs that drive us most mad and asked our listeners on Twitter to send the best candidates. And we've put together a playlist of the songs that drive us crazy. The best on here has got to be Kylie Minogue's I Just Can't Get You Out of My Head. Kind of like the Fine Young Cannibal's She Drives Me Crazy, this is a self-referential recursive song in which the melody gets drilled into your mind over and over and over again. such that the song is clearly not about a relationship. It's just about the earworm itself. We'll have a link to that playlist on our website, www.switchedonpop.com. Also, I'll be performing a live version of Switched on Pop in Los Angeles on Sunday, November 1st at 8.30 p.m. at the Lyric Hyperion Theater as part of the You Get a Spoon event hosted by comedian Chris Duffy. Tickets are available on Eventbrite. Just search You Get a Spoon LA. And we'll, of course, post the link in our show notes for this episode on switchonpop.com. Our show is written, edited, and produced by the two of us, and our
2: design is done by Luke Harris. Tune in in two weeks when we delve deep into the work of a pop star we've missed for too long. And until then, as always, I'm Nate Sloan. I'm Charlie Harding. Thanks for Thanks for listening. For listening.
0: Listen to and follow Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Oh, okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say Nothing. Because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.